0: Well, good morning to all of you and want to wish all of you a very happy Sabbath. I hope you had a good week and I'm so thankful and so happy that you have chosen to join us here online. And I'm so thankful as well that I can be here and I can share once again a message from God's Word. You know, the lockdown here in Malaysia has restricted us quite a bit. You know, we're not able to travel as much anymore. Our church obviously is closed. But I'm thankful that, you know, the lockdown cannot stop God's word from being preached. You know, I'm thankful that even though we cannot meet in person, we can still come together online and we can still study God's word together. We can spend time at the feet of Jesus. And so this morning, I'm so thankful and so happy that we can still be here. We can fellowship together And most importantly, we can hear God's voice speaking to our hearts. Amen. And as you can see from my title, uh, the sermon title this morning is uh, Losing Your First Love. And yes, maybe some of you um, have a clue on what I'm going to preach about. Um, And I'll be going through um, the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Of course, not all at once today, but today and for the next six times that I will be preaching... We will be going through um, the seven churches that we find in the book of Revelation. And we will be studying and, you know, just looking at the significance of each church and the message for each church and seeing how it applies to our lives today. But before we go into the message, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray together and as we invite God's presence to be with us. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this Sabbath day. Thank you for how you have led us through the week. And I thank you that we're able to come together, that we can study your word at this time. And Lord, we are just asking that you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us. I pray, O Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would put your words in my mouth. I pray that people will not hear or or see me but they would hear jesus and so lord i just pray that you would guide us in this time i plead for the holy spirit to be here to guide us into all truth and i pray lord that at the end of this message you will allow us to be drawn closer to you and that you would help us to make a decision for you i thank you so much for hearing and for answering our prayers and i pray these things in jesus name amen Okay, so as mentioned, we will be going through the seven churches um, that we find in the book of Revelation, and today we will be looking at the first church, okay, and the first church is the church of Ephesus. Now before we go into um, this church and before we study about this church, I want to share with you this quote, which can be found in Acts of the Apostles, page 585, paragraph 3. This is what Ellen White says. She says the names of the seven churches are symbolic of the church in different periods of the Christian era. The number seven indicates completeness and is symbolic of the fact that the messages extend to the end of time. While the symbols used reveal the condition of the church at different periods in the history of the world. So see friends, even though the seven churches in the book of Revelation were actual individual churches, but they are actually symbolic. They are symbolic of the church as a whole in different periods of time. And the messages to the churches in the book of Revelation, extend to the end of time. They extend to the time that we are living in right now and the future. So how relevant is this um, Is studying the book of um, Revelation to us? How relevant is it to study the messages to these churches? Very, very relevant and very applicable to us. Now I want to share with you um, one more thing. You know as we will study um, about the seven churches we will see the example of Christ and how he ministered to the seven churches. Firstly Christ calls the church by its name. Secondly Christ introduces his name but as we will see he introduces himself to to fulfill the need of each church thirdly he recognizes the good works of the church fourthly fourth he points at the issues and rebukes the churches fifth he counsels the church sixth he warns about the consequences to remain in sin and lastly he gives a promise to encourage the church and you see the example of christ shows us how we should minister to our churches as well it shows us how we should treat each other, how we should treat our church members, especially those in sin. And today we will be looking at the first church. We will be studying about the church of Ephesus. So come with me to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse two. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. This is what the Bible says. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now the first church that we see here in the book of Revelation is the church of Ephesus. Now the name Ephesus means desirable. So this is a church that is desirable. You can say that this is a good church. And here in verse 1, Jesus, he introduces himself as one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and also as one who walks in the midst of the seven churches, the seven golden candlesticks. Now, what is so significant about this? Firstly, let's look at the seven stars in his right hand. What do the seven stars represent? Let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the seven stars, they represent the angels of the churches but bear in mind that these are not literal angels you see the word angel can also represent a messenger so the seven stars are really the messengers or we can say the leaders of the churches so jesus he is holding the the leaders of the churches in his right hand now what does the bible say about god's right hand what is so significant about his right hand let's go to the book of isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, the Bible says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So you see, friends, God's right hand represents His righteousness. God here is seen or He's pictured as one who holds the leaders of the churches with his right hand of righteousness. He holds the leaders with his righteousness. And isn't that amazing, friends? Because you see, even though um, leaders of the churches are appointed, but they are still human beings. They are still sinful and they still fall. So they are no different from the rest of the church. And so Jesus needs to hold them with his righteousness. He needs to keep them close to him. He needs to cover them. With his righteousness. Now let's look at Jesus walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, why did Jesus introduce himself this way? What was so significant about this? Now, notice what Ellen White says in the book's Acts of the Apostles, page 586, paragraph 1. She says, Christ is spoken of as walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks, thus, it symbolizes his relation to the churches. He is in constant communication with his people. He knows their true state. He observes their order, their piety, their devotion. Although he is high priest and mediator in the sanctuary above, yet he is represented as walking up and down in the midst of his churches on the earth. With untiring wakefulness and unremitting vigilance, he watches to see whether the light of any of his sentinels is burning dim. Are going out. If the candlesticks were left to mere human care, the flickering flame would languish and die. But he is the true watchman in the Lord's house, the true warden of the temple courts. His continued care and sustaining grace are the source of life and light. Alan White says that Jesus is looking out for his church. He is watching over the churches with intense care and love. And Jesus is acquainted with the church and its weaknesses and also its strengths. So here in verse 1, Jesus, Jesus introduce, introduces himself as one who holds the leaders of the churches with his righteousness and the one who watches over the churches, who has intense care and deep interest for the churches. But well, let's continue. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And verse 2. The Bible says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now, the first thing that Jesus did was to command this church. You see, Jesus, he knew the works of this church, and he praised them for their good works. He praised them for their labor. He praised them for their patience. But what what were the works of this church? Now, you see, the church of Ephesus represents the early Christian church, the apostolic church. Now, what were the works of the apostolic church? Let's go to a few Bible verses here. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. The Bible says, If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So you see, during the time of the apostolic church, the gospel was preached to every creature. The gospel was preached to the whole world. Let's go to one more text. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. Now this is describing the work of the apostles in preaching the gospel. So, the church of Ephesus was a church that was on fire for God. They preached the gospel to the whole world. They were active in labor and in service for God. This church was a church that specialized in evangelism. And they were winning souls for Jesus. Now, let's talk about their patience. Christ mentions their patience. Now, what was this referring to? What were they patient about? Let's go to James chapter one and verse three, James chapter one and verse three. The Bible says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You see this church went through trials and persecution, but they endured. You see, while preaching the gospel, they endured many trials and many persecution. And because of this, because of their endurance, because of their willingness to go through trials, they produced patience. Let's go to one more text, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Acts 8, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and devout men carried stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him as for saul he made havoc of the church entering into every house and healing men and women committed them to prison therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word one more acts 9 verse 1 it says and saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the lord went unto the high priest. So you see, friends, the apostolic church, they went through persecution. They went through trial and tribulation. And Jesus knew that this church, the church of Ephesus, went through persecution. But what happened was they endured. They were faithful in preaching the gospel despite the persecution that came upon them. And because of this, they developed patience and christ he recognized their patience he commended them for their patience but there's one more thing that this church did the bible says that this church could not or did not bear them which are evil now how did the church demonstrate this let's go to first corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 and 4 through 5. the bible says it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should should have his father's wife. Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now here Paul was rebuking the church because someone was in fornication. And Paul was telling the church that you must do something about it. You must disfellowship this person. So you see, the apostolic church was taught how to deal with evil, how to deal with sin in the church. But let's go to one more text. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. The Bible says, "Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him, and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow." Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. But you see, Paul—he did not only tell them to disfellowship or to deal with evil; he also taught them how to forgive, how to forgive those that were in sin and how to win them back to Christ. So you see, this church, they knew how to deal with evil in the right way, not only to just rebuke and to disfellowship and to cast out, but also to love and to forgive and to win those people back. Now, I want to share with you this quote from Ellen White that can be found in the Review and Herald, May 31st, 1887 paragraph 3 she says here we see a deep heartfelt prolonged struggle just such a struggle as we might have expected in these last days of conflict thou canst not bear them which are evil rigid and impartial discipline was exercised in the case of all unworthy disciples and false teachers who were bringing in damnable heresies which which were undermining the foundation of the faith So you see, Elton White mentions that they had rigid and also impartial discipline. They knew how to deal with those who were bringing in heresies. They knew how to deal with evil. You see, this was a church that was on fire for God. They preached the gospel, they endured persecution, and they also knew how to deal with evil. Now, there's one more thing that the Bible mentions about this church. It says there that this church also tried them which say they are apostles. Now, how did they demonstrate this? How did they carry this out? Let's go to Acts chapter 17 verses 11 and 12. Acts 17, 11 and 12, the Bible says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed Also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So you see, this church, they had an attitude of making sure what they heard was the truth. And how did they do this? They searched the scriptures. And when they tested them, tested those apostles, they found them to be liars. Now, what principle did this church abide by? Okay, it's this principle that that we find in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Isaiah 8 and verse 20, it says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So friends, it is that principle to the law and to the testimony. You see, the law and the Bible were the standard of the church to judge. The Bible was their foundation. This was a church that was studying the Bible and their foundation was strong. Now, what else does Jesus command this church for? Let's continue. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Notice that this church also labored for the sake of God's name. Now, in the Bible, a na- the name or a name represents character to a certain extent okay a name has spiritual significance it reflects the character of the person and so this church was laboring and enduring persecution for God's character they did they went through all those things so that they could reflect the character of Christ to the world. so this church so far is a good church right they were a church that were on fire for God They did all they could to spread the gospel. They endured persecution. They cast out evil from among them. But there's something else that Jesus tells this church. There's something else that Jesus wants this church to know. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, I have someone against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You see, even though this church received great praise, they had a rebuke as well. They had lost the characteristic which made them desirable in the first place. And what was that? They left their first love. And who was their first love? It's obvious, right? It's Christ. They left Christ. But what happened to them? How did they lose their first love? How did they leave Christ? Notice what Ellen White says in the following quotations. And I'm going to be sharing quite a few here. So follow along with me. Firstly, in Acts of the Apostles, page 580, paragraph 1. She says, But after a time, the zeal of the believers began began to wane, and their love for God and for one another grew less. Coldness crept into the church. Some forgot the wonderful manner in which they had received the truth. One by one, the old standard bearers fell at their post. Some of the younger workers who might have shared the burdens of these pioneers and thus have been prepared for wise leadership had become weary of oft-repeated truths. In their desire for something novel and startling, they attempted to introduce new phases of doctrine, more pleasing to many minds, but not in harmony with the fundamental principles of the gospel. In their self-confidence and spiritual blindness, they failed to discern that these sophistries would cause so many to question the experiences of the past, and would thus lead to confusion and unbelief. So you see, Elman mentions that they forgot the way in which they received the truth, and they also become weary of often repeated truth. In other words, they became bored of their religion. Their religion became merely a custom or a tradition for them. And what did they do? They began to introduce false doctrine into the church. They started to become confused. They started to wander away from the truth. Notice what else, uh, what else Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles, page 580, paragraph 2. All the, as these false doctrines were urged, differences sprang up and the eyes of many were turned from beholding Jesus as the author and finisher of their faith. The discussion of unimportant points of doctrine and the contemplation of pleasing fables of man's invention occupied time that should have been spent in proclaiming the gospel. The masses that that might have been convicted and converted by a faithful presentation of the truth were left unwarned. Piety was rapidly waning and Satan seemed seemed about to gain the ascendancy over those who claimed to be followers of Christ. So you see, this church, they stopped looking at Christ as, as the author and finisher of their faith, and they began to focus on arguing and debating. You see, instead of spreading the gospel, they spent their time in meaningless discussion. And do we find ourselves doing the same thing today, friends? Do we find ourselves debating and also arguing instead of spreading the gospel? Do we find ourselves um, going through, you know, different topics, different doctrines and just finding something, something to argue about, just finding something to debate about when instead we should be preaching the gospel. We should be doing all we can to win as many souls for Jesus. Are we wasting our time arguing instead of winning souls for Jesus? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. But notice what else Ellen White says. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 370, Paragraph 2. She says, When this church is weighed in the balance of the sanctuary, it is found wanting, having left its first love. The true witness declares, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Revelation 2, verse 2 and 3. Notwithstanding all this, the church is found wanting. What is the fatal deficiency? Thou hast left thy first love. Is not this our case? Our doctrines may be correct. We may hate false doctrine, and may not receive those who are not true to principle. We may labor with untiring energy, but even this is not sufficient. What is our motive? What, why are we called upon to repent? Thou hast left thy first love. Friends, is this the same for us today? You see, maybe we, we can say that we have the truth. We can say that we go to church. We may be doing good work for God. We may be preaching and teaching the gospel. But have we left our first love? Have we left Christ today? One more quote that I I want want to share. Um, In the same book, uh, uh, Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 370, paragraph 3. She says, Let each member of the church study this important warning and reproof. Let each one see if in contending for the truth, if in debating on the theory, he has not lost the tender love of Christ. Has not Christ been left out of the sermons and out of the heart? Is there not danger that many are going forward with the profession of the truth, doing missionary work, while the love of Christ has not been woven into the labor? This solemn warning from the true witness means much. It demands that you shall remember from whence you are fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else, says the true witness, I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Revelation 2.5 Oh, that the church might realize its need of its first order of love. When this is wanting, all other excellences are insufficient. The call to repentance is one that cannot be disregarded without peril. A belief in a the theory of the truth is not enough. To present this theory to unbelievers does not constitute you a witness for Christ. The light that gladdened your heart when you first understood the message for this time is an essential element in your experience and labors. And this has been lost out of your heart and life. Christ beholds your lack of zeal and declares that you have fallen and are in a perilous position. You see, friends, this is a message that really hits home. This is a message that is for us. Do we still have love for Christ and His truth? Do we still have love for Christ in our hearts for the people around us? You see, we can be so caught up in the routine of becoming a Christian that it becomes meaningless. You know, we go to church, we attend Sabbath school, we preach and teach just because that's what we do every single week. But do we really have Christ in our hearts? Are we still on fire for God? Do we still have that love for Christ? You see, friends, the sad reality is that we may look like a Christian on the outside, but truly in our hearts, we have left Christ. So what is the solution for the church of Ephesus? And what is the solution for us if we have left Christ today? Let's continue. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So friends, what is the remedy for this church, or what is the solution for the church? Jesus told them to remember. Christ told them to remember. You see, Christ called the church to examine their own hearts, and he called them to recall their past experience. Now, what was their past experience? Let let me remind you. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Okay? The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, friends, this was the experience that God called them to remember. God wanted them to remember how they were converted, how they were when they received the gospel for the first time, how they were so on fire in preaching the gospel, how they were continuing daily in the apostles' doctrine, how they were um, providing the need for the poor people how they were truly in love with Jesus. Christ called them to remember this experience. And friends, if we have left Christ today, if we have left our first love, Christ is calling us to remember, to remember that first encounter with Him, to remember how our hearts burned with such, you know, with such excitement and zeal when we first received the gospel. Christ is calling us to remember our conversion story and how he transformed us and changed us but you see Christ also asked the church to remember when they had fallen now you see a church or a person can only fall when they do not have Jesus as their foundation they can only fall when they are not grounded on the rock You see, Jude chapter 1 and verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You see, friends, Christ is the only one that can keep us from falling. The fact that this church fell is because they had left Christ. You see, friends, do we find ourselves today struggling with sin? Do we find ourselves repeating the same sin over and over and over again? Well, that is because we have left Christ. We have left our first love, and Christ is no longer the foundation of our life. Because if we have Christ's rents, He will keep us from falling. So if we are struggling with sin today, we must go back to Christ. We must return to our first love. But there's something else that Christ asked the church to do. He told them that you must repent and you must do the first works. So Christ, he asked the church to have true repentance. Not only to have sorrow for sin, but to turn away from sin. And he told them that they needed to do the first works. But what are the first works? What are the first works referring to? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, for, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. Now, the background here is that Paul is talking to the people here, and he tells them that, you know, you know what, you should be teachers of the gospel. You should be preaching and teaching and leading the people in Bible study. You should be the ones leading out every Sabbath, leading the church. But Paul tells them that now you have need of the first principles of the oracles of God. They need to go back to that. Now, what are the first principles of the oracles of God? All we have to do is go to the next chapter in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and we find the answer there. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So friends, what are the first principles of the oracles of God? there are none other than the doctrines of the church. This is what we call the fundamentals of the Christian faith. You see, if we have left Christ, we must come back to Him. And what is the first thing we must do? We must repent, we must forsake our sin, and then we must go back to the study. We must go back to study the doctrines of our faith. You see, it's going back to study the doctrines of our faith to make sure we understand what we believe to make sure we understand what we truly stand for. And as we do that, as we study again the doctrines, the fundamentals, the basic principles, Christ will begin to work on our hearts once again. He will begin to transform us, and He will begin to give us a love for the truth once again. So friends, how is your Christian life? How is your relationship with God? Do you still have Christ in your hearts today? Or have you left him? Maybe some of you today, as you are listening to this message, you need to restudy the Bible. You need to restudy the doctrines of our faith. You need to come back to knowing and also loving God's truth. If we have left Christ, friends, that is the solution. We must come back to his word. We must go back to the principles, the basics. We must ask God to give us the love for his truth, once again. But let's continue. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6. The Bible says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So you see, this church, the church of Ephesus, they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But there's something interesting here. Christ also says that he hates the deeds of this group of people you see Christ he did not hate the Nicolaitans he did not hate them or he did not hate this group of people but what did he hate he hated their deeds he hated their sin you see this is a very important principle for us to understand Christ he loves the sinner but he hates the sin never the opposite he never hates the sinner. He always hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. But who were the Nicolaitans? The Nicolaitans, they were false teachers. They were heretics. They were false apostles. Notice what Ellen White says in Signs of the Times, January 2, 1912. She says, Doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine is now largely taught that the gospel of Christ has made the law of God of no effect. That by believing, we are released from the necessity of being doers of the word. But this is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which Christ so unsparingly condemned. Also in the Review and Herald, June 7, 1887, she says, The sin of the Nicolaitans. Is it our sin, the sin of the Nicolaitans, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness? So you see, this group of people Their sin was that they turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Basically, they made God's grace cheap grace. And the church of Ephesus hated their sin. They hated their deeds. And you see, friends, today in our churches, we may have many people preaching false doctrine. We may have people that are turning God's grace into cheap grace. But what must we do? We must love the sinner, but hate the sin. Christ never called us to hate the sinner. We must love them. We must pray for them. We must never hate them. You see, friends, it's not enough to reprove others or to hate false doctrine. We must learn to love them just as Christ loves them. But let's continue. Let's go to the last verse of this church for this church. That's in verse 7. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see, friends, the promise to this church, if they overcome, is that God will give them to eat from the tree of life. Now, why does God give them this promise? You know, when was the first time you, we hear about the tree of life in the Bible? Yes, it's in the book of Genesis, during the time of, of Adam and Eve. And you see, this church, just like Adam and Eve, left Christ. You see, when Adam and Eve see, sinned, they no longer could eat from the tree of life. God had to drive them out from the Garden of Eden... They could no longer eat from the tree of life. And Adam and Eve, they left their first love when they chose to sin. And so Christ is telling the church that just like Adam and Eve, you have left me, you have sinned, but if you are willing to overcome, if you come back to me, I will allow you to eat from the tree of life once more. I will give you that experience of Eden once again. And you see, friends, Christ is telling us the same thing today. If we overcome, if we continue to hold on to Christ, and if we come back to Him, our first love, He will allow us to eat from the tree of life. And yes, that takes place in His kingdom when we go to heaven, but that experience can begin today. We can begin to experience eternal life today. All we have to do is accept Jesus. All we have to do is come back to Him. You see, friends, God wants us to be saved. He wants us to inherit his kingdom. He wants to be with us. He wants to be close to us. And so if we have left Christ today, Christ is calling us back to him. Now, I don't know where you are in your Christian walk right now. If you are with Christ, and if you love him, and if you, if, if you are on fire for the truth, and, and if you are doing all you can for the gospel, then I want to encourage you to go on, to keep going on and to be strong in the Lord and to be faithful. But if you have left Him, if you have left your first love today, then friends, I'm calling you, I'm encouraging you to come back to Him because Christ is waiting for you to come back to Him. And one of the ways that you can do that is to go back to the study of the Word. I want to encourage you study the bible if god is truly speaking to your heart and if he is convicting you to study the bible i want to encourage you to do that maybe you need to study the bible once more maybe you need to have bible study once again maybe you need to study the fundamental fundamentals of the christian faith once again and as you do so as you commit your life to him once more god will begin to transform you he will begin to work on your life And He will give you a love for the truth and for Him once again. And so friends, my question is, what is your decision today? What is our decision today? You see, Christ is waiting, especially as we are living in these last days. He is waiting for us to renew and to strengthen our relationship with Him. And He is waiting for us to truly be faithful to Him in these last days. So friends, what is your decision? If you have left him, will you come back to him? If you are still with him, will you make a commitment that you will remain faithful to him no matter what? Will you invite Christ into your life today? I pray that that is our decision today. And I pray that today, even right now, we will make a commitment to renew our relationship with God. Because God is always ready. And he's just waiting for us to open the door and to let him come in. So friends, with that, let's pray here as we close. And let's ask God to truly seal the decisions that we will make in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for being with us. I thank you so much for speaking to our hearts this morning. And Lord, we know that like the Church of Ephesus... There are many times in our lives where we have left you. And perhaps even right now, there are some of us here that have left you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to come back. I pray that you would please teach us what we must do. I pray that you you would help us not to harden our hearts, but that we would be willing to listen to your voice. I pray that as we come back to you, Lord, you would give us a love for your truth and for you once more. So Lord, begin, begin to transform us, begin to convert us once again. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to remain faithful, especially in these last days. Lord, be with every person that has listened to this message. Continue to convict them. Continue to speak to their hearts. I pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to lead and guide us into truth. Thank you so much, Lord, for hearing and for answering our prayers. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.